Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, it's good to be back with you today, and it's good to have Krista with us. She's on the other side of the glass there, looking pretty as she usually does. Hey, everybody. And she is my partner in the podcast and my partner in life, and we do have a lot of fun. And one of the things that we don't have fun when we encounter is a snake. Now, there's good snakes and there's bad snakes. That's true. And I know some people don't believe that. Well, but growing up, to me, a good snake was a dead snake. I know. But I've changed over the years, but two that I do not like, do not want to be around, and... I want to avoid at all cost. I will avoid at all cost, and if I run into them on any type of civilized property... Now, I don't do this so much in the woods. If I'm hiking or something and I see one, I don't try to kill it. I understand. I, I just leave it, let it go, give it a wide berth. And we're talking here about rattlesnakes and copperheads. We have added a way for our listeners who would like to support the podcast to do so. We love our coffee. So you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep and buy us a cup of coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash practical prep. There are many other types of poisonous snakes, venomous snakes. In the United States, we have five venomous snakes that are indigenous to this country. Mm -hmm. But we have had some others brought in. I remember one small city when I was policing in that area, someone had a spitting cobra and allowed it to get loose. That is a wicked nasty snake that's native to africa Mm -hmm. they can spit six feet or more and their venom can hit you in the eye and blind you and this city was on pins and needles there for a couple of years they were concerned about the possibility that it might mate with some other snakes But people for a couple of years were concerned about walking out in their yard and the possibility that this thing might have been there. Now, after a couple of Alabama winters, they felt like it probably had not made it. But back to our point, rattlesnakes, copperheads, and other slithery critters. One of the things that brought this up with me starting to research some of it is that we're seeing more reported sightings in unexpected areas. Well, that's natural. When you think about the level and the amount of growth with home building and development into wilder areas and the clearing of land for urban sprawl, basically, for people to live in houses, they're cutting up the woods and the forests. Well, the woods and the forests have been undisturbed for centuries and centuries in most of these places, and the wildlife there has had absolutely no encounter with man on any kind of regular basis, if ever. So basically, we've encroached upon their habitat. Right, and so there's going to be some contact. But we're seeing some things that are causing them to move into urban areas. One is the droughts that we're seeing in some of the western states. Yeah, they're having record-setting droughts. Yes, and these snakes are going looking for water. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned the urban sprawl and the development that's going on that 
causes them to come in contact. Now, the thing about snakes, and this is pretty much snakes of any kind, they're attracted by food, water, and cover. They're going to find, and especially a lot of times when the seasons change or even when the day turns into night, Mm -hmm. sometimes we find that a lot of snakes will actually avoid the hottest heat of the day because they may be warm enough. See, that's the misunderstanding some people may have about a cold-blooded reptile. What I learned when I was in the pet industry for 30 years, and we did actually market non-venomous, small, what we call pet snakes, I learned that their need for heat was a very small amount of the day. And when they were warm enough, and it usually took just a few moments in some cases under their heat lamping, they would go find cover in the darkness and the shade, and they could maintain that heat in certain environment for hours and hours. So they're not always going to be out on a sunny rock when you're out there, you know, walking and hiking around or whatever. There might be hiding. They may be warm enough. They're going to be slithering up close to your garages. And they're looking for places to stay cool at that point. Sometimes they can feel overheat because they can't control it. They have to move themselves. And so those darker spots, those cover areas, the garages, the outbuildings, the places where you're not walking around a lot, wood piles, brick piles, things like that. Think like a snake. Where would you go? Now, one of the things for you that go walking in the cool of the evening, this is something to pay attention to. And teaching young police officers, especially when I was with county, this was not so much with city, municipality, but with county, and we cover back roads. I would teach young police officers, when you stop a car at night, you look before you put your feet You watch where you're walking because not only could the person in the vehicle be a threat, but one thing about snakes, when you have these cold snaps, you've got warm days and you've got cool, cool evenings, they will come right up to the edge of the asphalt and lay along that asphalt and absorb the heat from that road or walkway. So if you're out walking, doing your walking, you might want to leave a couple of feet away from you in the edge of that roadway if you can, safely, or at least a flashlight to keep an eye on that because they're occasionally found right next to that roadway. But they can also be found, and they're occasionally found on porches, they're found in yards and wood piles, you mentioned, near pools, under things, This is particularly of concern to parents because they can get under play equipment. Yes, like some of these movable sandboxes or little play yard areas that go unattended for a while. You know, you may have some visitors under there. Anything that's laying in the yard or laying someplace, I know down at the hunting club one time, one of our guys moved a piece of tin that had been laying out there. And it had a very large rattlesnake under it. Yikes. Anything, be careful when you're reaching under something, even reaching into potted plants and flower beds before you've really visually examined that. They're also sometimes seen, and I'm very careful when I go out there and get on to the lawn tractor, because they like to get under 
that lawn care equipment mm-hmm. and could even get up on top of the cutting deck. So what's going to be some good ways for us if we're living in these forested areas and we're clearing them out and we want to live in a safe place with our yards that our children and our grandchildren can play in safety? What would be some things we can do to keep these snakes repelled from our environment? You don't have to be in a forested area. True. We have behind our back fence, there is a strip of woods about 15 feet wide. And then there's a yard on the other side of that. And then there's a yard Mm -hmm. on the other side of that. And the reason that's there is on paper, that's a city alley. Mm -hmm. But it's not in use. It's overgrown and it can have snakes in it. So we want to keep them out of our yard as well. Even though we live on the edge of the city and we have neighbors to both sides that keep their grass cut, we still have an area behind us where the snakes could be coming from. So one thing that we want to do is keep the grass cut short. We don't want, and and by that I don't mean a half inch, but you want to keep the grass cut regularly. And that does two things. It lets you be able to see them. But it also makes them nervous because they don't have cover from their natural predators like hawks and owls. Right. That's one thing about snakes is they don't really like broadcasting their presence for all the whole world to see. They're they're very secretive. They feel very vulnerable in that short grass. And thankfully, we actually have nesting hawks and owls Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, and I think that's why we don't see snakes. And one of the things that we're going to do that we talked about the other day is we're going to build a perch pole and put it up about 8 or 10 feet and just a landscape timber that is vertical. Mm Mm-hmm. You're basically making a T post, yeah, capital T. And only making the top of that about three feet wide. But it'll be a great place that the hawks and the owls can sit on and watch our backyard and the neighbor's backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we want to do that. Another thing you can do is to clean up the debris that might be stacking around your yard, such as wood piles, lumber piles. Now, These can either be piles of lumber that you have stacked for use for your fireplace, your chimney, your your grill, or whatever. But there's also, you may have wood piles that are naturally fallen. Or, you know, they have just accumulated over time. And they're not necessarily something that you're actively controlling. that They're just there. But that's a perfect cover for a rattlesnake. Right. And even piles of leaves. Piles of leaves. So you want to keep those stacks of firewood away from the house. Don't put them right up against the house. Yeah, or uh, close to your back door and stuff. Yes. Right, put, put, put them put across them the yard. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you want to do, and the, removing the piles of debris helps with this, and that's controlling rodents. Yes, because rodents are also quite secretive. You know, they're except, I guess, for the squirrels are about the only ones that are bold enough to be seen all the time. But chipmunks and mice and voles and little shrews and those are snake food. That's snake food, and when you know, there's never going to be just one mouse. There's always going to be fifty mice if there's going to be a one. And so the snakes can actually not only feel their movement; they can use that tongue that comes out they can actually feel the heat of the movement of a rodent they can also taste the air 
it's something that we can't really comprehend, but their tongue is used to taste the air, and they can taste both the smell of a mouse and the smell of its droppings. And, of course, the mouse is going to leave a little trail like Hansel and Gretel, and so the snake can follow, will literally follow the same exact trail the mouse has gone. Mm-hmm. And if you have a mouse problem in your garage or your basement, you better look out because some smart snake, dumb snake as it is some smart snake's going to follow that mouse into your house we talk about mice you know you have field mice you're going to have them come through the yard at times what we don't want them to do is to take up residence in the yard so we clear those piles and things like that but we also take away some of their food by feeding our pets inside or mm-hmm. not leaving the pet food outside. Right. If, feed, if, if you must feed your pet outside, just try to become disciplined enough to bring that food in and then just put it in a safe place at night because outdoor food is going to attract all kinds of mice and rats. Yeah, and not only mice and rats, but it will attract possums, raccoons. I kind of like possums. Well, not in the house. I'd rather have a possum than a raccoon in True. my yard. But it will attract both and something else Uh that it will attract. And had a friend going through this the other day. That stuff will attract skunks as well. And we do have the Pepe Le Pew skunks here in our area. Oh, boy, we do. And they had one that was on the front porch, and it got scared by the dogs, and it sprayed the front door, Uh, and it made a mess. So keep that pet food away. Now, another thing is to keep bird feed inaccessible to the rodents. Yes, if you're storing like wild bird seed in your garage, some people are mistakenly storing it in the original packaging, which Mm -hmm. is not rodent proof. You want to put that in some sort of a galvanized garbage can with a lid, tight-fitting lid, something, not 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 plastic, plastic. not a plastic tote. They'll chew through plastic, they'll chew through cardboard, even wood. Yeah, so we oh, you can still buy a galvanized metal garbage can with a tight-fitting lid. And you can buy the small one that's mm-hmm. seven or eight gallons. Sure. And it makes a great place to be able to store that bird seed, but make sure it has a tight-fitting lid. Talking about that, you may want to keep these feeders well away from the house. And here's why. The birds tend to scatter the bird seed. It falls to the ground. It falls to the ground. Rodents like to come and eat the bird seed that has fallen to the ground. Snakes like to come and eat the rodents that are eating the bird seed that fell from the ground. So you may want to put that away from the house as well. Now, there's also snake fencing. You see, I hadn't heard about snake fencing. Tell me about that. Well, it can use... Think of a chain link fence for a moment. The bottom portion is a a very fine screen. And if you really want to do a good job with it, you'll trench the area below that and you'll put that below ground level and cover it up. Some of the snake fencing has a very smooth area up all the way for that matter. Just like an impervious solid. Exactly. And see, snakes can't climb something that's perfectly smooth. Yeah. Oh, and they can't climb up very, very high. Right. You know, there's maybe a foot or two in some cases, but that's about the limit. Right. So if you've got a three or four foot tall snake fence, they'll have a hard time crossing it. But be careful that you don't let ivy grow on it or you don't let shrubbery grow next to it. Give them... uh, 
a leg up, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't plant the snake ladder yeah. for them to cross the exactly. fence. Think now. like a snake. If you were mm-hmm. a snake, how would you climb it? You could find a way to climb it. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lolly. I'm Krista and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage, the roof has gotten blown off, you find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Crystal Lolly, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, add these to your collection we sure appreciate it now there are also some snake repellents commercially available but the commercial snake repellents are usually toxic to pets and children so there's some other things that you can do some that are proven some that are believed to be true Uh, clove oil they don't like clove oil clove oil is very yeah clove c-l-o-v-e clove oil very strong has a strong scent pleasant scented so you can go back and mix that put that in your garden sprayer and spray it around your fence areas the perimeter of your uh, your yard you can do the same thing with cinnamon you can do it with ammonia they really don't like the smell of ammonia and mm-hmm. they'll move away from that you might be able to just put that into a non aerosol pump spray bottle if you want it to make it easier to apply i'm thinking garden sprayer just, oh, okay. just put I it in there and yeah. use your garden sprayer yeah, and go just like, with that. He's talking about a pump garden sprayer yeah. that's got the little pump on the top right. and then it's got the little wand. That just you spray a one-gallon one yeah. garden sprayer and spray that around from time to time. Now, here's something that I have used, and it has mixed reviews. Some say it works. Some say that it doesn't. But in my daughter's yard, when... The first grandchild was very small, three years old, two, three years old, and he was oblivious to any danger. Of course. And so he just, when he got let out the back door, he just ran wild just like the dog did. So I put mothballs around the outside of their fence. It was a wooden privacy fence, about six foot tall. 
contained him very well. I didn't want the mothballs on the inside. Where he could get them. Where he could get them or the dog could get them. But I put them around the outside of the fence, and I scattered some through the yard that was outside the fence. And I even went across the alleyway that was behind them. It said it's an alley. It was a concrete road around the entire subdivision, so you could get to your garage in the back of the house. And so I took that box of mothballs, and I started throwing them into the foliage there and there were some rocks and things that would be very conducive to copperheads and they did kill a number of copperheads in the subdivision there but my daughter never had a problem with the snakes coming into her yard and I did it in areas that were prone to copperheads and she had no snakes that were found in the yard. Now here's another one that very natural way to do it and that's yard cats and barn cats. Yes, for those of you that will abide a cat, having some outdoor cats, I can tell you that they can be absolutely invaluable to alerting you for danger. Years ago, we actually had a cat. We lived on a creek, and we had a cat, and she killed water moccasins. Mm-hmm. And she never she never got a bite from these water moccasins. And I'm talking, she killed water moccasins three times her length mm-hmm. and quite a bit of weight. And she'd go down to that creek bed, and she she would have litters of kittens from time to time. She was protecting her kittens. And these water moccasins would come up, and she would kill them dead right there. And then she'd bring them up to show us her work. Right. So I can tell you that these cats can be very good at killing. They'll control the rodents as well, too, which helps. But we've got a particular story we'd like to share about a recent event regarding cats. Yeah, and this is just alerting you to their presence the cat alerting you to the presence of the snake. Our One of our daughters and her husband were sitting in their den looking out their big sliding glass door, and they're, they own quite a bit of property there, and you go out the backyard, there's a bit of a backyard, and then it starts up the hill into the woods. Mm-hmm. And this cat kept jumping around. It was avoiding any snake strikes or what, and it was trying to get in and kill the thing. So our son-in-law just did what any thinking person would do and grabbed his shotgun and went out there and killed a very large rattlesnake. And it was less than 10 feet from the yard. And they've got young children. Oh, yes. uh, The youngest being two and another on the way. So they definitely want to keep the snakes away from the yards. That was a case of a cat alerting to the presence of the rattlesnake. Yes, because they did not see the snake at first. And I think it was two of their cats, actually. One of them was behaving very strangely, and the other one was behaving very strangely as well. The behavior of the cats was different than what they normally expect. So that alerted them to go, you know, stand up and go look out the window. That's when they saw, and they said they could see from several yards away that this was a mature, how many rattles was on it? 10 or 12, 15 rattles? I don't remember exactly. It was a handful of rattles, which (laughs) means that's a mature snake. It was a large snake. And so Robert did what what Mark described, and he he stopped the thread of that rattlesnake (laughs) in their yard dead right there. Now, there are times that people get bit by snakes. Yes, most of the time they're unaware the snake is even there. It's not like they see it and get bit. Sometimes they get bit and then they see it. Exactly. Now, let's talk about treating snake bite. And we're talking venomous snakes here. Rattlesnakes, 
copperheads. Moccasins. Some of you have some seriously venomous snakes around the world, and you might want to look at some of the information in those. But one of the things, this is pretty general information for dealing with a venomous snake. First, get away from the snake. You get bit. If if something hits your leg or your hand, don't wait to see that it's a snake. Get away from that area so you don't get bit the second time. And then stay calm. Now, that's hard to do because anybody that's going to get bitten by a snake. Now, I've been bitten by non-venomous snakes. Mm -hmm. I was in the pet industry for 30 years, and we did deal in some baby, captive-raised, completely harmless quote, harmless snake. Now, they still had teeth, but they didn't have fangs. Right. So I've never been fang bit, but I've been python bit by a baby python. And staying calm is harder to do, but you just really have to just stay calm because I had to actually extract the head of the snake out of my hand. Well, we're talking venomous yeah. snakes here. Okay? I understand, but I'm just and saying staying calm. Not staying calm raises your heart rate. Right. And cost time. It, it costs time. If you're bitten by a venomous snake, seek emergency medical treatment. In the United States, we can call for medical help, dial 911, we can get help, but you may be in an area that that help could be 30, 45 minutes away. And once you've got that call made, then you want to keep the area of that snake bite immobile if you possibly can. Right. If you've been bitten on your foot or your leg or your knee, try to remain in a seated position with that leg and that foot and that knee below your heart level. We want to make that venom less likely to get to the vital organs as well. You need to remove any jewelry or clothing that's near the bite. If you're bitten on the finger, I don't care if it is your ring finger or not, take your ring off. If that entire area begins to swell, you don't want to be cutting off the blood flow from because of the swell. With venomous snakes, most venomous snakes in, in the United States, the coral snake is an exception to this. And in some other countries, there are exceptions to this. There are venomous snakes that do not have fangs. But in our area, two fang marks, two holes in the skin would be a very telltale sign that this is a venomous snake. Now, you can have blood coming out of those wounds. Don't be in a hurry to stop that bleeding. Let it bleed for a little bit. It won't be major amounts of blood, but let it bleed for a little bit because this may drain out some of the venom. And don't do what we used to be taught to do and cut an X across each of the fang marks and suck out the poison. A couple of reasons for that. One, if you do suck out the venom from a poisonous snake and you have any kind of open wound in your mouth that you know about or don't know about, you could get the, the venom into your own system. But it also it, it does very, very little good to cut it and it increases the potential for infection. Now, one thing that you can do, and this is really the only good device that I know that's in these commercially available snake bite kits today, and that's the little suction devices that are in them. You can use that to try to pull out some of the venom. It can either be a syringe-type device, or it can be suction cup-type device, but you can do that. But please, do not cut the wound, do not suck the poison out, and do not apply a tourniquet. 
See, I wanted to really highlight that. In a lot of cases where there's been wounds and accidents, we talk about tourniquet use. But we're going to take a hard left here and go with snake bite or bites of, or from like a large lizard or a reptile bite, something like that. Applying a tourniquet actually does more harm mm-hmm. than good. And why is that? Well, as I was taught in paramedic school, is that the snake venom really travels in the lymphatic system, not in the blood system. But the lymphatic system can actually be constricted, and I've seen, I've read information on this, of putting a rubber band above the bite. Go several inches above the bite. If we're on arm or leg, which is where most of the, the bites are going to be, put a tight-fitting rubber band. It's not going to constrict the blood flow, but it constricts the lymphatic system. I see. Don't apply that tourniquet like we were taught, you know, in Boy Scouts, put the tourniquet around it in the windlass and, mm-hmm. and tighten it up. So we wound up with a lot of people having amputations from having the tourniquet applied where they probably would have survived the snake bite without losing a limb. Mm-hmm. You do want to put a clean bandage on the wound. And if you can clean that up a little bit, put a clean bandage on it, clean dry bandage, wrap it up. And do not drink alcohol or caffeine. And the reason for that is because alcohol and caffeine will speed up the absorption of venom into the body. Something we do not want to see happen. One last thing here, and that is if you can, identify the type of snake that you were bitten by. Was it a copperhead? Was it a rattlesnake? Was it a water moccasin? If you can identify exactly which snake it was, then they have antivenom that's specific to certain snakes. Exactly. So they can treat you appropriately quicker if they know without a doubt. Now, I've often heard if you can kill the snake and take it to the hospital with you, do that then there is an absolute identification of the snake. But do not take a live snake to the ER. And I saw this happen in Birmingham one time. They caught the snake, put it in a paper sack. So when they opened the paper sack in the ER, they had a live venomous snake. Not smart. Not smart, not cool. And uh, don't do it. Not appreciated Mm -mm. at all. Now, if you can kill the snake and take it with you, that's okay. But the whole thing is positively identify it. Now, if you look at it, you positively identify it. There's no need to take the snake with you. But if there's any doubt of what kind of snake it was, kill it, bag it, and take it. Okay. Anything else you want to add here? Again, these will be in the show notes for you to review. And, of course, we realize and identify that several listeners are from various parts of the world. We have over 38 countries that report into us. And so we do have listeners who have different snake threats. And so apply this logic and the, the information to the threats that are most likely to be in your area and understand and know how to identify the venomous snakes that you may encounter. And we certainly hope that you don't encounter any of them outside of the glass walls of the zoo. And we didn't research all of the various venomous snakes around the world. There, There's some... There's s- bunches. There's a bunch of them out there. And we're going to be doing a spider podcast coming up pretty soon. And we do cover a lot of the specific spiders in other parts of the world that are very venomous. One of them 
the venom of that spider is 15 times as potent as the venom of a rattlesnake. That's a bad bug. That's a bad bug. Now, here's the good news. Very few people die each year from snake bite. We've learned a lot in the treatment. We've got antivenom, and the antivenom will be available in the area for those specific snakes. There's no need for us to have antivenom here for snakes that we never encounter or, or can't encounter because they're not indigenous to our area. Just watch where you put your feet. Watch where you put your hands. If you're in the yard, don't put your hands anywhere that your eyes have not been. Don't put any part of your body where your eyes have not yet been. There may be a snake laying up in there. We went into the woods one time to cut some firewood, and there was a wood pile that had been pushed up from where some land had been cleared, and we were given permission to get as much of the firewood as we wanted, and we were going to do that. And Got everything ready, turned around, and I caught the sight of a very large rattlesnake laying right back up under there in the shade. A little bit hard to see, and the guy that was with me, this was kind of funny. I didn't know that he could jump from the ground to the bed of a pickup truck without visibly moving a muscle. But it was one and he was up in the bed of that truck. Understood. And let me just quickly say one one word about there are good snakes on our planet. There are good snakes right here in the United States, probably way more good snakes. And when I say good snake, these are the king snakes, the banded king snakes, the black racer snakes, and in some cases the indigo snakes. The ones that are not venomous who love to dine on the venomous snakes. So I would caution, I would, I would really want to caution people that I understand people are fearful of snakes in general, but I would love to caution you to be very discerning and very selective about the snakes that you believe need to be dead. Because if you wipe out a colony of king snakes around your house who will never, you'll probably never see them and they can't harm you even if they do bite you. And they don't want to bite you at all. They really want you to leave them alone. But they can control, naturally control, the copperheads and the rattlers that are most likely to be threats to us. So please, I want to stick up for the good snakes of this world and realize that not all snakes are bad snakes. Tell you a little story about that. My first wood shop was in the old barn on the old home place, which at one time had been the corn crib. Now, this was located not that far from the creek. It was just across the pasture from the creek. And we did have water moccasins. On, we had cottonmouths on that creek. And I found that I had a large, rather large king snake living in my wood shop. So he and I came to an agreement. Okay. I will make a lot of noise when I'm coming into this shop before I go opening anything or what have you and give you opportunity to slide out of this wood shop so I can do what I came here to do. And then when I leave, you can come back in. But he controlled mice. He controlled snakes. I never saw a mouse in that wood shop. I never saw uh, any other type of snake. And I only really knew this one was there because of him shedding And interestingly, he was using the blade on a radial arm saw for shedding. 
he would scrape against that to pull the skin back. Mm -hmm. So just a little story there about not killing the good snakes and let them do what they're put here to do. All right. Anything else? Be safe out there. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.